All right, welcome to the Lowly Shepherd Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Pastor Jay, and uh, this week we'll finish up my three-part series on how to effectively study your Bible, and uh, hopefully this one will be a little bit shorter. There's not a whole lot to say uh, about these issues that I'm going to talk about today. Uh, I want to talk about genre uh, and why that matters for what it is and why that matters for, for doing effective Bible study. And then as the last part, I really, at the end of this segment, I want to, to really just kind of give you some online resources that are some good websites that you can go to for, for doing some, some effective Bible study for yourself uh, that are easy to use and, and, and pretty effective and, and generally safe to use for, for anybody in the congregation to use. And so um, as we get into it today, I want to talk about the genre. And we, we've talked about uh, the last couple of times, we talked about context and why context was king and... Uh, why words have meaning, but they only have meaning within context. Um, uh, we use the example of run or running. You know, I could be running for office, or I could be running a race, or the water could be running. I mean, it all depends upon the context of the sentence to know what that word means. Um, that plays an important part in the genre of literature as well. The genre or the style of literature of each of the books of the Bible will tell you and inform you how you should properly interpret the passage that you are reading. And so, uh, you know, for example, if I was to set in front of you a work of literature, you know, but you didn't know what the title was, you didn't know what the book was, I just set a stack of papers in front of you, <clears throat> and you, uh, you started to read, and, and the first sentence you read was, Once Upon a Time you would know instinctively from, from you know, your own reading and from you know, society, you would know, well, you're reading a fairy tale. And you would know there are certain aspects of this fairy tale that should be read in certain ways. For example, if there's magical creatures like unicorns or you know, uh, Pegasus or something, if there's magic going on, if there's witches or you know, some kind of beast or something like that, you know all these things are not real-life things. They're fairy tales, and it's meant to be read in that way. So it's figurative, you know, sort of speaking, or it's make-believe kind of stuff. If you were reading something that uh, started out with, um, you know, how do I love thee? Let me count thy ways. You know, you would know, well, okay, I'm reading a love poem. It's poetry. And so it's going to be using these emotion, uh, you know, laced, uh, uh, figurative language, metaphorical languages, a lot of similes and metaphors. You know, you're as lovely as, you know, a rose and, you know, blah, 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 blah. You smell so sweet as, you know, honeydew or, or something like that. And, and you, would, you would understand some of the aspects of how to properly read that. You would know that it was not meant to be taken literally. They don't, you know, look like a rose, but, you know, it's, it's metaphorical, figurative language because it's poetry. If you were to read something that said, it was a dark and stormy night, and that's how it started, you would be like, oh, okay, well, this is like a, a, a thriller or a, a horror story, and you're, you're going to be reading it with apprehension and suspense about what's going to be happening next. And so... You know, the, the different styles, and that's what genre means, the different styles of writing, of literature, really informs how you're supposed to read those things. That's why genre matters uh, in the Bible. So, well, what kind of genres do you have? Well, I mean, you know, and if you're going to look for a movie, you can go do your Netflix search or something like that, and you can look under horror or family or kid films or comedies or dramas or thrillers or you know, you know, documentaries, all these different types of genres. Well, they didn't have those genres in, in the old, in the uh, Bible times, but they had some that, that were kind of general to to all peoples of that time. But you had some some certain genres in the Bible. 
Uh, some of them are called law. I mean, there are some books, particularly in the first five books, the Pentateuch, the, the Torah, uh, you have law passages, particularly the book of Leviticus is a, a book completely about law. Uh, there are passages towards the end of uh, Exodus, a good portion of the book of Deuteronomy, and even some passages in Numbers that are law. It's, a, it's a God given his law. Well, that matters for interpretive purposes because there are some elements of those laws that are given that were given for a specific context to a specific people in a specific time frame in a specific country and region, you know, thousands of years ago. Some of those laws are ceremonial ritual cleanliness laws that had to do with the ritual, the, the cult, if you will, of the religion of Judaism as it existed in the days of Moses and, and thereafterwards. And then there are some laws that are given that are universal truths, that are universal what we call moral laws. And so being able to determine, well, what's a ritual cleanliness law and what's a moral law, you know, that's really where we're having to pick through and figure things out. You know, not many people like to drudge through the book of Leviticus because, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that, quite frankly, don't seem to apply to us today. Uh, and if it doesn't apply to us today, unless you just like to read historical things, it's just not going to be that interesting to you. And so there are plenty of things like, you know, don't mix two different types of fabric, don't plant two different types of seeds in a field, you know, all these kinds of things. You're like, well, you know, what, is, what does that have to do with anything, right? But then there are other laws that are, are very relevant, like, you know, don't have sex with your sister, you know, the incest laws and these kind of things, you know. Okay, well, yeah, that, that, practically speaking, that still applies. And so being able to pick and choose, not really pick and choose, but being able to sort through uh, those types of things to be able to apply them to a modern-day situation is why it matters. And so you need to understand how the law was given, why it was given, and what the purpose of that was for. Uh, another genre in the, in the uh, Old Testament is historical narrative. A lot of the Old Testament is historical narrative. You know, books like Joshua, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, you know, the Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, Esther. You know, the, these are all historical narratives. They're giving, you know, basically a narrative telling of the history of what's happening during this time frame. Well, that reads in, in specific ways. When you read that so-and-so did something, generally you take that literally because it's a historical, factual thing that's being written about. And so you would read that differently uh, than you would read poetry, for example, which would be the next one. In poetry, like the Psalms or Song of Solomon, there's a lot of figurative uh, poetic language. You know, and so when, you know, in... Uh, <clears throat> Psalm seventy-seven, sixteen. when it says, The waters saw you and were afraid. Well, water doesn't get afraid. It's being personified there. You know, when it says something like, The Lord is my shepherd in Psalm 23, and it's talking about us as sheep being led beside the still waters and laying down in green pastures. Well, that's not to be taken literally. It's figuratively. And if we understand that that's poetry, we understand. This is poetic language that's being taken figuratively, and, and we're supposed to, to use that in a metaphorical sort of way. We're not going to take that literally as opposed to hearing how David slew Goliath. We don't take that you know, figuratively. We take that literally because it's a historical narrative. And so the genre matters in that sense. Um, another type of literature is wisdom literature, like uh, Proverbs, for example, and Ecclesiastes and Job to a certain extent is, is uh, wisdom literature, uh, given Proverbs and, and, and uh, wise sayings and things like that. Uh, prophecy is its own sort of genre uh, and prophecy is very, very similar to poetry in the sense that a lot of the visions and the and the the prophecies that the prophets are saying 
are to be taken metaphorically and figuratively, not literally. Uh, in fact, there's plenty of places in the prophets where you know the prophet sees a vision. Uh, I believe it was Jeremiah sees a you know a vision of a fig tree or fig branch and. He says, our olive branch, and, and uh, you know, God says, what do you see? He says, well, you know, I see this branch, and, and God says, yes, this is what it means. And so the vision is not literal. It's meant to be taken figuratively, and a lot of times he'll tell you what that means and what it represents. You know, also, you know, Isaiah and Ezekiel both did things that were you know, weird, quite frankly, uh, you know, that, that were meant to be illustrations of what God was trying to tell his people. And so prophecy is a different kind of genre altogether. You can't read a lot of that stuff literal because it's meant to be taken in a figurative sense. And so understanding the prophecy genre will help you understand how to properly interpret some of those books. Uh, Gospels. The gospel is actually sort of its own category uh, it, it, it's very much a lot of, a, of a historical narrative because it is. It's following, and of course the book of Acts is also kind of following that same sort of trend. It's telling the story of what Jesus did, but it's not organized necessarily in a chronological way in a lot of cases. Um, it's, but it's organized by the sayings of Jesus, by the miracles of Jesus, and, and they're, they're meant to be given a point of pointing people to believing in Jesus as the Messiah, as the, the source of salvation. And so there's a lot in common with letters. Uh, in fact, Luke and Acts both were written as letters uh, to Theophilus. Um, you know, there, there's you know, points of interest in there with historical narrative. There's included within that sort of subsets of genres, things like parables, which are sort of like fables, like a, a, a moral story with a, you know, with a point. Um, there's uh, dialogues and things that go on in there as well, sort of philosophical debates and things that go on in the book of Acts that are sort of like sort of subsets of genres that you can look at as well. Um, I mentioned the letters, epistles, uh, you know, the, the letters of Paul, of course, uh, the letters of Peter, John, the letter of Jude, the letter of James, uh, the letter of Hebrews, you know, to, to whoever wrote that. Um, you know, letters have specific reasons, specific purposes for why they're being written. Uh, so you can't take a statement in the book of 1 Corinthians, for example, as something that's universal for all people for all time, because a lot of the things that were written were specific um, to their situation and, to, and were really answers to questions that they had asked Paul uh, in a previous letter that he is responding to. And so some of those things, you know, much like the, the law, some of those things are universal truths, and that's the principles that we pull out of that. We talked about that last time. But a lot of them are very specific things dealing with specific situations that we would not find ourselves in because we don't live in that time and that culture. And so those are things, important things to remember. Uh, letters are situational and um, uh, temporary. They're, they're, they're meant and were written for a specific purpose. Now, a uh, book like uh, the book of Ephesians is, is a little bit different, and we'll actually, we're going to be starting Ephesians starting next week, the next couple of weeks, uh, with the introductory material on that. The book of Ephesians was written more of a, as a general sort of letter to all the churches and doesn't actually include any of those specific things. And so Ephesians is kind of its own separate category as well. <clears throat> and Hebrews kind of falls into that category as well. It's not really addressing so much uh, specific concerns, although it was written to a specific audience, uh, but you know, some somewhat similar in that regard. The last uh, area genre that I'll talk that I'll mention about is is apocalyptic literature, and that's uh, of course the Book of Revelation is the the biggest example of apocalyptic literature. Uh, parts of the Book of Daniel, some of that's historical narrative, and some of it's prophecy. A lot of it's apocalyptic literature. 
um, parts of Zechariah, some parts of Ezekiel, and some parts of you know some other prophets uh, kind of hinge and, and are kind of fringe, bumping up against that apocalyptic kind of label. Apocalyptic literature is very, very difficult for us to parse in our day and age because we don't have that genre. I mean, we have poetry, we have historical narrative, uh, you know, history sources, we have wisdom literature to an extent, you know. We, we have some of the letters, of course. We have some of these other genres that we can somewhat relate to, but apocalyptic literature doesn't exist in our modern understanding. Uh, it was really only a genre of literature that was really only popular for a few hundred years around the time of Jesus, a couple hundred years before and after Jesus. And so, it, you know, there, there are certain key elements of apocalyptic literature that lends itself to interpreting what you're reading in a certain way. Uh, and a lot of people don't understand that, and that's why you get all sorts of weird things in interpreting the book of Revelation, for example, because they're not understanding how the literature and the genre of apocalyptic literature is important for being able to interpret and understand the book of Revelation. And so uh, that's why why it's important to know the genre and understand what you're looking at. And Revelation especially is, might be the biggest example of that. Uh, if you don't know what you're what you're trying to to read, and you don't know what literature it is, you're not understanding um, how to properly interpret what you're reading. It matters because it determines, like I said, how we properly un- interpret that passage. Uh, I'm a big fan, and maybe some of you, you know, the listeners actually pay attention to this on Facebook of Babylon B. Babylon B is a satire site. It's a Christian sort of satire site, and it, it writes these fake news articles that are meant to be sort of poking fun at, you know, real events and they're some you know somewhat loosely related to the events that they're poking fun at, but they're 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 intended for humor and uh, and really not just not just to get a laugh, but um, satire is kind of its own uh, genre. It's not comedy. Satire is meant to, you know, poke fun at something in order to make you think about it and be like, hmm, you know, well it's not really not really all that funny. It's actually kind of making a point there. Um, and so Babylon B is kind of funny because I've seen so many people that will read something from Babylon B before they were more popular than they are now and, uh, and, and comment on it on Facebook and say, oh man, can you believe this is happening? And other people are like, you, you dummy, this is a, this satire, it's, it's a joke, it's not meant to be real, this didn't really happen. But people were confused by that, they thought it was real, they thought this was a real story. Uh, and any good satire comes across that way, you know, that, that's that's making its point by being very close to the real thing. And that's kind of, they're, they're sort of uh, juxtaposing the, the, the real and the surreal kind of together is kind of uh, an aspect of that genre. And so that kind of, you know, brings up the point, though, you know, if you're not understanding what you're reading, if you didn't know you were reading satire, you would come to the wrong conclusion. And that's why it's important to understand what genre you're reading in the Bible in order to understand and come to the proper conclusion and interpretation for what you're reading in in any given passage. All right, so how can you better understand the biblical genres? Well, you you can do searches on this. Any kind of study Bible is going to give you in its introductory material, not just the author and the date and the recipients and the, the occasion of writing, but it'll generally tell you like what style of writing it is, what the genre is, and why that's important for interpreting what's going on in any given passage in that book. Um, I've had this on my table for a couple of weeks. I keep forgetting to mention it, but now is a great time as any. This is a really, really good book. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth uh, by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. 
Um, this I have the uh, the second edition. I actually think it's in the fourth or maybe even the fifth edition that's kind of been revised and updated. Uh, I got this book when I was in seminary, so it's a good 20 plus years old now. But uh, this is a an, an really excellent book for a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about. It goes through some of these things about context and word meaning and how to do word studies and hermeneutics and the hermeneutical gap. Uh, we talked about that first week and why all these things matter. But it spends a good portion of the book going through each genre of the Bible and, and the different books of the Bible and talking about how to properly interpret each book given its genre and its context, its historical context as well as its cultural context, and all the various issues that will arise with that. And so I can't highly recommend this book highly enough. It's, it's, it's a really, really excellent book for understanding I mean, if you get nothing else out of it, it's really good for understanding the genres of the Bible and how to properly interpret them based upon that. And so I, I recommend that book, and I'll, I'll remember to put the link to that book in, in the uh, comments below if you want to you know, pick that up on Amazon. It's not too expensive at all. In the last segment, and really kind of closing out this, uh, this series on how to do effective Bible study, I wanted to give you some resources uh, that you can use that are mostly Internet-based sources um, that are helpful and, uh, and, well, really in a lot of cases, very helpful for, for doing effective Bible study. You know, you don't have to have, uh, you know, thousand dollars worth of commentary sitting on your shelf in order to do effective Bible study. I mean, some of those things are, are helpful if you have them, and that's great, but, you know, there are, there, there are a lot of really, really useful, up-to-date, uh, very well-done resources that are free online. Um, and uh, the internet in, in is actually a very, very, very uh, wonderful resource for doing Bible studies today. And I, I might have mentioned that earlier on in the series, but I mean, you know, something like a concordance was like a, a you know, when I went start a seminary, I had to have a, you know, a Strong's concordance. It was like, you know, this big thick book of, you know, all the places where this particular word shows up in the Bible. And, uh, you know, if I wanted to find a particular passage, I have to look it up in the concordance trying to figure out where that reference is. If I couldn't remember the reference, but I remembered like part of the verse. Man, Google is like the world's greatest concordance. I can remember like two words out of a verse and then, you know, type that in and it'll pull up the reference just like that. And uh, very rarely has that failed me. If I, if I can remember even a I mean, just the smallest part of a verse, it will pull it up and so and be able to find the reference that easy. And so Google is my first uh, first go-to sort of thing for uh, trying to find a passage. If, I, if I'm you know, thinking in a, in a sermon, I'm like, man, I know there's a passage that says something like this that I really want to reference to, to, to back up what I'm saying here. I can type that, you know, I only know part of it. I can type that into Google and lo and behold, pull it up and get the full, the full verse. And so... Uh, Google is my first go-to reference for a lot of things like that. Um, <clears throat> another really good reference, and it's good, as I mentioned, about knowing the biblical languages of Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that we miss if you're just studying the English translations of the Bible, because there's a lot of stuff that gets lost in translation. And uh, but you don't have to be a seminary student, and you don't have to have like you know degrees and PhDs in Hebrew or Greek in order to be able to utilize these. Once again, there are free resources online that are very very helpful and useful in this, uh, especially for doing things like word studies. Uh, one of them is an interlinear. Interlinear it means you know, like in between the lines kind of thing. And uh, what that is is you'll have the English translation of it, and you'll have the Greek 
or the Hebrew, if it's an Old Testament passage, above it. And a lot of times they'll have the Strong's Concordance reference, which for this word, if I'm, you know, if, uh, charis is the, the Greek word for grace. And so it says grace in English, it says charis, it'll have it in the Greek, it's not transliterated. Sometimes they'll have the transliteration as well. Um, and then above it, they'll have like the Strong's reference number, and you can click on that, and it'll pull up all the places in the New Testament where this passage, I mean, where this word charis shows up. And uh, that can be extremely helpful for seeing how to relate this to the, you know, where it's used elsewhere and how that relates to the passage that you're currently studying. Um, Bible Hub, BibleHub.com, B-I-B-L-E-H-U-B.com is my go-to reference for interlinears. There are other ones that use interlinears, but theirs is the best as far as just it pulls it up. You type in the passage, it'll pull it up. In fact, I usually just use Google. I'll say, you know... Uh, Ephesians 1, 2, uh, and I may even use my, my Bible reference, ESV interlinear, and it'll pull up that Bible verse with the Greek above it and the Strong's reference numbers. And, and so a lot of times I can look up and see, okay, what is the actual Greek word behind the English translation here, and why does that matter for this passage? And so, uh, so Bible Hub is, is my, and there's a lot of resources on BibleHub.com, not just the interlinear, although that's mostly what I personally use it for. Um, but it's a good reference site as well, BibleHub.com. And once again, I'll put all of these uh, links down in the description below. Uh, BibleStudyTools.com is a really good one. They just have a lot of uh, free commentaries. Uh, I mean, if you're not interested in, in, in spending, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars on, you know, critical scholarly commentaries, I mean, even... Even basic commentaries can run you twenty or thirty dollars. I mean, the more scholarly tomes that are like you know a thousand pages long, those things are fifty, sixty. I mean, I've seen ones that are eighty or ninety dollars for just a one volume, on uh, one book of the Bible, and so those things can get ridiculous and expensive. But if you're not interested in dealing with all those things and you just want a basic commentary on something, Bible Studies Tool, BibleStudyTools.com. Uh, will be a good reference for you because they have a lot of the sort of open source, free, uh, public domain works. A lot of like John Calvin's commentaries, um, uh, Matthew Henry's commentaries. I mean, you used to have to buy those books. I mean, they're free online now. You can find any of these things basically free online and you don't have to buy these things anymore. Uh, and so, you know, they, they have a ton of commentaries and you could type in a passage and it'll pull up like every commentary on that, you know, on that passage. Uh, and you can go down and read through there. They'll pull up exegetical notes, any text critical issues. And so uh, BibleStudyTools.com is a good one. Uh, BibleGateway.com is a good one uh, for finding different translations of the Bible. Uh, and like I said, when you're doing proper word study, when you're doing proper Bible study at all, don't just depend upon one translation of the Bible. Look at different ones, especially if you're not going to interact with the Greek and the Hebrew, because you need to know what the differences are between them and, and why that matters. And uh, something like Bible Gateway is good because you can pull up, I mean, it's got, I don't know, at least 100 different English translations of the Bible. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's got all your mainstream ones that, that anybody knows, your NIVs, your King James, your, your ESVs, etc. But then it's got some more like obscure ones like Young's Literal Translation or, you know, the New Jerusalem Bible. I mean, it's got, it's got a ton of these different things. If you're uh, using a phone, something like the version from, from Life Church. Uh, app is a free app that you can download on your phone, and it has pretty much like any translation of the Bible in English that you can think of, and it even has it in foreign languages too. 
uh, if you're interested in that. And so uh, you know, either one of those tools is a, is a great resource to be able to look at it from different Bible uh, uh, translation perspectives to be able to, to uh, uh, compare and contrast those different things. Another good site is EnduringWord.com. There's just some, some pretty good, solid uh, commentary. I've, I've used it a few times uh, in preparation for sermons. Um, and, you know, it, it, you know, a lot of it's basic, but a lot of it's actually pretty good filtering down uh, some scholarly work into something that you can, you know, bite-sized stuff that you can manage. Uh, and so I, I encourage you to use EnduringWord.com uh, as a commentary source for a lot of things. Just, you know, as with everything, you know, you're not going to agree with everything because it is, it is the work of just a, a handful of people that are doing it. But, <clears throat> but uh, generally speaking, it's pretty solid. Um, I would also recommend uh, Grace to You. Uh, which is John MacArthur's site. Uh, it's gty.org, gracetoyou.org. Um, and uh, it has like sermons that uh, transliterated, or translated, not translated, what's the word? Transcribed sermons that, that John MacArthur has done since like the 70s. I think there's some in there from the 70s. Uh, and so like you could, you could go and search by the book of the Bible, by the verse, by the topic, and you can pull up any of his sermons um, when you say, well, why would I want to read a sermon? I'm wanting, you know, like a commentary. Well, a lot of the sermons that he did uh, are the basis for a lot of the commentary. So if you can't afford John MacArthur's commentary sets on any given book of the, of the New Testament, you can actually go and read his sermons and you're getting about 85, 90% of what he puts in his commentary. No joke, sometimes word for word. Uh, and so it's actually a pretty good reference in that regard. Uh, PreceptAustin.org is another good site for just getting some some scholarly uh, commentary type work and some uh, exegetical studies in there. Uh, BlueLetterBible.org is another good one that just has some great commentary and some great background resources that you can use for studying uh, anything that you're looking at. And the last resource I'll mention is just a, a good study Bible. Um, I have on my shelf uh, the ESV Study Bible, and it has study notes you know, down at the bottom and, and some, you know, critical scholars and, and, and well-known evangelical scholars contributed to that and different, I mean, different ones and different books that, that were experts in their field that contributed to the scholarly notes that are put at the bottom of that. And so it's sort of a mini commentary at the bottom of the Bible. Now, it, you know, it's, it's thick, you know, you're going you're gonna to be hauling around a, a pretty good brick of a book, but uh, it's, it's very, if you don't have to transport it anywhere, it's very helpful to have on your desk uh, for your, your personal study and your private devotion time. And so, so those are some of the resources that, that I would recommend just to help you get started and do an effective Bible study. Uh, any of these sites will be, be very useful to you. Um, you know, don't, don't just rely on one. You know, chop around. Try to, try to find as many sources as you can uh, on, on any given passage. I will say by uh, way of warning uh, and, and sort of put a hedge around that, the internet is a great resource. It's, it's a wonderful resource for doing Bible study. Just be careful what you're reading because some stuff is, well, not biblical at all. Some stuff is just completely wacky and out, out in left field. So if you read a passage or you read some commentary or you read some article or something by somebody that you've never heard of on the internet and it's saying something wild and out of left field, don't take it as the gospel truth. Go and study you know, that passage and a couple other different sources, and if no one else is saying that, that guy's probably a nut, and you should probably not listen to it. And so just, just be aware that the, having a, a council uh, of uh, you know, people all kind of con, you know, contributing together 
to, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to guide you in, in orthodoxy and, and finding a consensus uh, among, you know, many, many reputable, reputable scholars and, and whatnot. And there's plenty of that on the internet. You don't have to resort to the quacks. So don't be drawn to the, um, the esoteric or the, the mysterious things that a lot of people get hung up on. There's plenty of mysteries in the Bible, but they're not super mysterious if you know where to look and how to search things out. The Bible is not unapproachable. You can you can read and understand your Bible. I want you to understand that. And so and I hope this podcast and other things that you can you can look at will help you understand your Bible better. So that's where I'm going to leave it for this week. Next week we're going to start in my my verse by verse study of the book of Ephesians. Um, I'm going to start next week. I'm actually going to talk, uh, spend a week and talk about my top resources and commentaries for the book of Ephesians. Uh, I wanted to kind of separate that out from the introduction because I don't want to take away from the introduction to do that. And this will probably be a good 20, 25 minutes of talking about commentaries. And so uh, next week, I'm going to talk about my top commentaries for the book of Ephesians. In two weeks, we're going to start with the introduction to Ephesians. Uh, and uh, my good friend Travis Welch will be with us as we go through the book of Ephesians verse by verse starting in two weeks. And so hope to see you guys next time. Have a great week. See you later.